0: You can turn over in your Bibles to the book of 1 Kings. Years ago, a farmer owned land along the Atlantic seacoast and he constantly advertised for hired hands. Most people were reluctant to work on a farm that was along the Atlantic because of the nasty storms, those awful storms that would come up and just beat on the buildings and tear apart the crops and all the sort of things they would face with that. But he would go out there and he'd, he'd interview applicants for the job. Most of the time he'd just get refusals from people he just say, no, they didn't want to work on that farm. But finally he approached one man. He was a middle-aged man. He was short and thin. But he asked him, he says, are you a good farmhand? And his answer kind of puzzled him, but he said, well, I can sleep when the wind blows. He didn't quite know what that meant, but he uh, had a willing farmhand, so he hired him, brought him on in, and he seemed like he worked pretty good. He was pretty diligent with everything, getting everything done, and one day a storm came upon their coastline, and as the storm began to pick up in the nighttime, he went over and woke the farmhand up. And he said, "We need to get out there. We need to batten down the hatches and put away the cattle and all the different things." And he looked at him and he said, "I told you, I can sleep when the wind blows." Well, he was so mad he's ready to fire him right then. Not coming on out here and help him, so he went on out there to do it himself. And went out there to put away the cattle and found all the cattle were put away. All the hay bales had a tarp put over top of them. All the shutters were were tied tight. Everything was weatherproofed. Everything was tied down that needed to be tied down. It was all prepared. And so finally he understood what he meant by, I can sleep when the wind blows. Have you done everything you need to do? Get yourself ready that you can sleep when the wind blows. When the wind blows is when the storms come. We know that God never promised us we wouldn't have storms. he just say we would, we would endure them. Remember this parable Jesus taught us. House built upon the rock stood in the storms. The house built upon the sand did not. Storms will come upon us. Glover to God, we survive every storm that comes our way. They don't have to knock us down. They don't have to put us away. Last week, we looked at... Remember who we looked at? Which king? King George, King James... One of those guys? Ahab. There you go. <laughs> he was a guy who had everything. He was king. And then he got this idea that he wanted a vegetable garden. Of all the things for a king to want, he wanted a vegetable garden. And we looked over some of the things that were involved with that. And suddenly everything he had did not bring satisfaction. Everything he had, it didn't matter how many, how many uh, chariots he had, how many rooms he had, how many vineyards he had, how many other gardens he had? He needed that vegetable garden and he wasn't going to get it. And We looked at the things that were involved with that. and How he lost that attitude of being thankful. And we have more to get into being thankful as we get down the road. But just keep in mind, always be thankful. Never let yourself get pulled out of being thankful. Have you ever gotten pulled out of a place of being thankful for your job? Things happen on your job and you begin to grumble and complain about that job instead of being thankful for that job, right? Have you ever gotten to a place where you've been not thankful about your car? Not thankful about your children? Not thankful about your spouse? You get to be a place where you grumble and complain about that. Not thankful for your friends because all your friends are this way or that way. Not thankful for your house because you begin to see the problems that are in it. Always be thankful. Boy, if Ahab had just stayed in a thankful attitude and been thankful for to God surely would have changed and gone a lot different a couple of verses we didn't look at last week in Proverbs chapter 27 and verse 20 hell and destruction are never full so the eyes of man are never satisfied the eyes of man are never satisfied no matter how much stuff you have there's always more to be had if you've been around with computers for a long time you know when computers how many were here, were around when computers first came out he had a computer when it first I mean when they first hit the market PCs now we're talking about I had one of the first PCs that was out there expensive 3 over 3000 dollars I spent on a computer a monitor and a printer That's a lot of money and it had 10 megabytes of storage <laughs> 10 it had two floppy drives a 9 pin dot matrix printer and I was I was fancy I had a color monitor color CGA monitor most people don't even know what a CGA monitor is anymore beside that I had 128k of RAM (laughs) then then spring the extra bucks for the 256 stayed with the 128 and we had dos on there and you know when you turn those things on what what were you greeted with? Just a C prompt. little C, little blinking light. That's all that you get. And oh, you are happy. <laughs> How many of you would be happy with a C prompt now? Hmm. What's wrong with this thing? How come I only get this? Wouldn't be, be so happy with that. But all those things came out. And, and you know, Bill Gates, I think he even said, no one needs more than 256K. As far as memory was concerned. And now we're up to what? Two gigs and four gigs and... You can go out there and get eight, eight gigs and, boy, you can just put as much memory on there as, as, you, as you'd want to. Yeah, it seemed like, you know, you got a, a computer and had a full gig of RAM on it. Now, suddenly, that's not satisfied anymore. Your computer's too slow. Computer's not working fast enough. You need something different. Well, it always seems like we're never satisfied. As soon as we get the one thing, we needed something else. And then we get that and you need something else. And then you get that and surely your happiness will just be if you can get this thing over here. Our happiness is in God. It's not in stuff. And as soon as we learn that lesson, stuff is a lot more enjoyable. God doesn't mind you having stuff. Doesn't mind you having nice things. Jesus had some nice things. Others had some nice things. Don't worry about that, but don't get all caught up in that. Ecclesiastes 5 and verse 10. He who loves silver will not be satisfied with silver, nor he who loves abundance with increase. It gets old after a while. You've got to be satisfied in God. And today we want to look at this aspect of being satisfied. And we're looking here in 1 Kings at a guy we haven't looked at in a while. we referred to him a number of times, but I know we've covered his, his life story before. But I think it's been about 10 years since we really dug into his story. So over here in 1 Kings chapter 11, we're going to look at Jeroboam. and The things that brought him to a place of revolt and eventual destruction. So 1 Kings, it gives us an idea of who Jeroboam was kind of character he was made up of. But a very interesting thing is the way this, this whole part just starts out. In verse 26, Then Solomon's servant Jeroboam, the son of Naboth, an Ephraimite from Zerida, whose mother's name was Zeruah. I think I got that. A widow also rebelled against the king. Also what? Rebelled against the king. And this is what caused him to rebel against the king. Solomon had built the millow and repaired the damages to the city of David his father. And the man Jeroboam was a mighty man of valor. And Solomon, seeing that the young man was industrious, made him an officer over all the labor force of the house of Joseph. So he was a mighty man of valor. He was industrious. And Solomon saw trace in him that he saw he was a leader and put him into a leadership position. And sure enough, he was a leader. And now it happened at that time when Jeroboam went out of Jerusalem that the prophet Ahijah, the Shilonite met him on the way, and he had clothed himself with a new garment, and the two were alone in the field. Then Ahijah took hold of the new garment that was on him and tore it into twelve pieces. Moral of this part of the story, don't be caught in the field alone with a prophet. <laughs> no, that's not the moral of the story, is it? <laughs> Boy, you can fool just about anything out of the word that you want to, though. If you wanted to get that, you could. But that's certainly not what he's trying to get across to Ahijah took hold of the new garment that was on him and tore it into twelve pieces. How many tribes of Israel are there? Twelve. Verse twelve. And he said to Jeroboam, Take for yourself ten pieces, for thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Behold, the Lord, the God of Israel, Behold, I will tear the kingdom out of the hand of Solomon and will give ten tribes to you. Now, he had twelve pieces, right? You subtract ten, you get how many? Two. Two. You guys are good with the math. And he said to Jeroboam, Take for yourself ten pieces, for thus says the Lord, the, the God of Israel, Behold, I will tear the kingdom out of the hand of Solomon and give ten tribes to you. But he shall have one tribe for the sake of my servant David and for the sake of Jerusalem, the city which I have chosen out of all the tribes of Israel. I thought we had two left. I mean, ten from twelve is two. Why do we get ten from twelve equals one? That's that new math. That new mass started a long time ago. No, that's not what it is. And there's a couple of explanations why it was this way, but certainly God is mindful of the twelve tribes. If you go through the Bible, you'll find different lists of twelve, 12 tribes. And it may be the tribe that was being left out here was Levi. Because they didn't really, they weren't going to belong to any. But it also could be that the tribe that was left out was Benjamin. Because of some of the things that happened with Benjamin. And we've spent more time on this before. But just understand, it's probably one of those explanations that Benjamin just got swallowed up with Judah and just was considered to be a part of it. Or the other tribe was Levi. Whichever one it was, it really doesn't make any difference. God knew what He was doing. You get to heaven, you can ask Him exactly why He did it this way and He'll tell you. Right now, we just have to kind of take a couple of guesses or ideas. Verse 33. Because they have forsaken me and worshipped Astra, the goddess of the Sidonians; Chemosh, the god of the Moabites; and Milcom, the god of the Ammon of the people of Ammon, and have not walked, walked in my ways to do what is right in my eyes and keep my statutes and my judgments as did his father David. However, I will not take the whole kingdom out of his hand because I have made him ruler all the days of his life for the sake of my servant David, whom I choose because. He kept my commands and my statutes. But I will take the kingdom out of his son's hands and give it to you. Ten tribes. And to his son I will give one tribe, that my servant David may always have a lamp before me in Jerusalem, the city of which I have chosen for myself to put my name there. So I will take you and you shall reign over all your heart desires and you shall be king over Israel. And it shall be... If you heed all that I command you, walk in my ways and do what is right in my sight to keep my statutes and my commandments as my servant David did, then I will be with you and build for you an enduring house as I built for David and will give Israel to you. How many of you would like the prophet of God to come and meet you on the road and give you a word like this? Anybody? I mean, it's pretty good, isn't it? Come, on, Tell you all that you got to do. I mean, he's, he's sized it all up. How many of you still wonder a little bit about what God's doing for your future? just aren't quite sure about everything. I mean, you're not quite sure. Am I supposed to go this way? Am I supposed to do this? If a prophet of God came on down and said, here it is, you're going to get 10 tribes. It's going to happen in the days of the son, not in the days of the father, not in the days of Solomon, the days of his son, when he takes over, you are going to get 10 tribes. And if you do this, I will do this. How many of you would like God to do that for you? I know I would. That'd be great. Oh, it'd just make life so much easier. No more laboring in prayer, trying to figure out, God, what do you want me to do? God, what is my purpose? How am I supposed to get this done? Wouldn't you just settle it for you if a prophet of God, a known prophet of God, someone established, told you this and laid it all out for you? How many of you just think, I have arrived. This is it. I don't have to wonder. I don't have to do anything. Oh, this is it. I'm just going to take hold of what he has said. I'm going to write this down, put it on my refrigerator, put it in my car, put it in the front of my Bible, put it in the back of my Bible, put it in the middle of my Bible. I'm going to put it everywhere. I'm going to put it on my iPod. I'm going to put it so it comes up as a message on my watch. It's it's going to come up as a screensaver on my computer. I mean, you're going to put it every place you can and you're going to look at this. All right. What do I have to do again? Shall be if you heed all that I command you, walk in my ways and do what is right in my sight to keep my statutes and my commandments as my servant David did. So here's what we're supposed to do. Now, remember what kind of a man Jeroboam was. He was a mighty man of valor. He's no coward. He was an industrious man. He was a guy that you gave. If you gave him something to do, he would do it. He carried it out. He made sure the details were taken care of. He was industrious. Solomon saw this and put things in his charge. He began to put people underneath of him. He made him commander. This was not just some run-of-the-mill guy who just, you know, sometimes let details fall through. This was an industrious guy. This was a guy who was good at doing what he was doing. And God lays it all out there for him. This is how it's going to happen. This is what's going to happen. This is when it's going to happen. And this is what you need to do. I mean, your life is set. This is great. And I will afflict the descendants of David because of this, of this, but not forever. Solomon therefore sought to kill Jeroboam, but Jeroboam arose and fled to Egypt, to Shishak, king of Egypt, and was in Egypt until the death of Solomon. Why does Solomon seek to kill him? Because he got a word. Now, how many people were in the field? Two. Two. That's it. The prophet, how many think he's a blabbermouth? Probably not. You don't get in that position with God being a blabbermouth. So he probably didn't tell anybody. Jeroboam? Well, he might have blabbed to a few people. But it seemed like something changed Jeroboam. Now, remember the word was given to Jeroboam that this would not happen in the, day, in the days of Solomon. This would happen when? The days of his son. you got to take God at his word. So Jeroboam goes back and changes his behavior towards Solomon so that Solomon sees that something is, is different. And Jeroboam begins to ponder all these things. I'm supposed to be king. Solomon's in my way. Something's going on with him and he begins to change his behavior towards Solomon. Now, you might think that's speculation on my part because it doesn't say so here. It is not speculation on my part. When we started reading, what did it say? This is what caused Jeroboam to rebel against God. No. This is what caused Jeroboam to rebel against Rehoboam. No, this is what caused Jeroboam to rebel against Solomon. Jeroboam took this word and rebelled against Solomon. Was he supposed to do that? No, this was to happen in the days of the son, not the days of the father, which meant he should have continued on being industrious, being a mighty man of valor in Solomon's house. But instead, he let this word get in and change him. And he began to look at Solomon differently and saw Solomon. God has judged you and he's made me king in your place. I must be better. And he found reason. He found cause to not be faithful anymore. And so Solomon couldn't trust him. And eventually, Solomon lost all trust in him, all confidence in him and kicked him out. And he left. Solomon got to the point he wanted to kill him. This is the guy he trusted a lot, put a lot in his hands. Now you can go on with the rest of this here, see that Solomon dies, and you can see the things that went wrong with Rehoboam, and there's a lot to learn out of what Rehoboam failed in. But again, we're here to see this particular thing with with Jeroboam, so let's just focus on this and skip on down here, and we're going to go on down to verse verse twenty-five. Now understand. Let's go over just one more time the list here. I wrote it in your outline, so you have it. God makes a promise to Jeroboam. If you, first off, heed all God commands, walk in all his ways, do what is right in God's sight, keep his statutes and commandments. And here's an example. As David had done. That's it. Do it as David did. The way David did, you do it that way. Then he says, Then I, God, will be with you and build for you an enduring house as I built for David and will give Israel to you. So he'll give Israel to him and he will build him a what? A temporary house. A long lasting house. An enduring house. An enduring house. As. I built for David. Now, David's house is David's house going to be, you know, 100 years. 200 years. How long was David's house supposed to reign? Forever. Because it was going to have its culmination in Jesus Christ, who was going to reign forever. So he says, I will build for you a house like I did for David. If you operate the way David did. That's all you got to do. So this is really clear cut. I mean, couldn't you follow these instructions? These are not Ikea instructions. How many of you ever bought a piece of furniture from IKEA? I think we all have. At some point in time, we have all bought something from IKEA. How many went back and did it a second time? (laughs) I mean, if you go back the second time, you ought to know what you're getting into. I'm not saying they have bad furniture, folks. I'm not trying to say that. But you all know, in order to put this bolt in this this part here, it takes four or five pieces of hardware, and you got to get them all lined up, and then you got to follow those instructions. And I get so tired—not just IKEA, but other places—of Companies who make room and make exception for people who cannot read. Hallelujah. <laughs> I get so irritated by that. And you know, do you know that most people in this country can read, but all of us have to succumb to instructions made for the illiterate? I mean, they draw pictures and they show you pictures, and you think, What? How many of you ever looked at that? What? Yes. what? What am I supposed to do with that? Yes. I mean, if you just give me some text here. I mean, give me the picture for the people who can't read. That's fine. You want to help them out? Great. Go ahead and do that. But what about us who can read? Give us some instructions. I want you to know this. The bunk beds that I make when I give instructions, a few times people come on over and they pick them up. When I give them instructions, there are no pictures. (laughs) No pictures. It's all text. You've got to read in order to be able to put my bunk beds together. These are not hard instructions. These are easy instructions. They're all right there. You can follow them. He's an industrious man. He's a mighty man of valor. He's a leader. Surely he can do this. Verse 25. Then Jeroboam built Shechem. Now this is after the revolt Re- against Rehoboam, they all came up, let's just give you the, the summary here, they all come up to Rehoboam and say, your father was nasty. He was harsh. He taxed, He put us in a 75% tax bracket. And we're tired of 75% tax brackets. We want a break. And so he says, "Ah, oh, you think he was tough? I'm going to put you all in a 90% tax bracket. What do you think of that? They said, nothing. We're leaving. And they all packed up and left. And they said, we're going to go to our our own. And they got Jeroboam and they put him up as the head. And 10 of the tribes went over. But of course, Judah stayed there with, with the house of David. They were going to go to war and settle it that way. And God says, don't you dare do it. Don't go to war. So they didn't go to war and they just let it go. Verse 25. Then Jeroboam built Shechem in the mountains of Ephraim and dwelt there. And he went out from there and built Penuel. Now, is there a problem so far? It needs to be okay to build cities. Isn't that one of the things that kings do? And Jeroboam said in his heart, Now the kingdom may return to the house of David. If these people go up to offer sacrifice in the house of the Lord at Jerusalem, then the heart of this people will turn back to the Lord Rehoboam, king of Judah, and they will kill me and go back to Rehoboam, king of Judah. Therefore the king asked advice made two calves of gold and said to the people, It is too much for you to go up to Jerusalem. Here are your gods, O Israel, which brought you up from the land of Egypt. How hard were these instructions? Let's go over the instructions again. First off, heed all of God's commands. Did He do that? Walk in all His ways. Do what is right in God's sight. Keep His statutes and commandments As David had done. Well, all we got to do is say, "Did David build gold calves?" David didn't build gold calves. David didn't have a problem with people going up to the Jerusalem into the temple and making sacrifice. But here's what it's what the problem comes in. He says in his heart, "How many of you have thought that you know, as long as you just think about stuff, as long as." You know you you know it's not right, but it's just you. It's, I'm just it's just me thinking about it. No one else. I'm not interfering with anybody else. I'm not bringing anybody else into this. It's just me. He said it in his heart. You know, those people, if they keep on going down to Jerusalem, they're eventually going to get. They're going to forget why they got mad, and why they revolted. And they're going to kill me. Now before you jump all over Jeroboam's case, how many of you have said in your heart things about your spouse? Things about your spouse. I can't believe she took that. Why did she take my... She knows that's mine. Why did she... I can't find it. And I need it. Oh, I can't believe that she... She drove my car and used up all the gas... I know he made this mess. I know it was him. He's going to blame one of the kids, but I know it was him. Who deleted my show on the DVR? (laughs) I was looking forward to seeing that show. He did it because he wanted to watch his sports thing. He wanted to record that Flyers game. He wanted to record that whatever. Oh, I can't believe that. Deleted my show. Don't we have, don't we sometimes say in our heart things like this and we begin to stir up stuff. I mean, when you were a child, didn't you stir up stuff against your parents? Can't believe mom and dad won't let me do that. They shouldn't let me do that. You say in your heart. See, this is where it starts. You say in your heart. And these things begin to go. Remember last week we talked about Ahab, how his mind, how his, he was being plowed for, for seeds to come on in, for seeds to be sown. He's being plowed. He's being made ready. And then the seeds were sowed in there. That's what you're doing. You start saying this stuff in your heart. You start talking about this. You start saying things about your friend. You start saying things about your kids. Start saying things about your boss, about your spouse. I can't believe they did that. My boss doesn't pay me. My boss doesn't appreciate me. My boss is taking advantage of me. And you say these things in your heart and it begins to fester and it begins to make you prone to receive seed. And rebellious seed. Now, we didn't cover this part yet, but we'll get into it now. There is a cause to Jeroboam's revolt. What causes a revolt? What is it that causes rebellion? What causes people to rise up and say, uh-uh, not anymore? There's something that, that happens. Think back to our country. Did we not revolt to get to the place that we have freedom for? And we think pretty good about that. We, we celebrate that revolt every year. Fourth of July is a celebration of that revolt. We rebelled! Yes! Why did we rebel? Why did we rise up and rebel against Britain? Dissatisfaction, isn't it? That's the first reason. What causes the revolt? First off, it's dissatisfaction. I don't like how things are. I mean, if you liked how things were, you wouldn't rebel. I mean, they're fine. Everything's good. Dissatisfaction. Here's the second thing. Ready? enlightenment. As soon as you find out things don't have to be the way they are that you are dissatisfied with and someone comes along and enlightens you. You don't have to have a husband like that. They, they make better ones. You don't have to have a wife like that. They have improved models. Right? And now we use, and you start looking around at other ones. That one doesn't do that. I like that one better. Cause you said it in your heart. I don't like this. This isn't right. And we begin to become dissatisfied with what we have and enlightened about what's out there. This goes all the way back to the beginning. Adam and Eve. We're fine. I mean, they're in the garden. You don't have to worry about paying rent. You don't have to be worried about buying gasoline for the car. You don't even have to worry about clothes. Don't have to buy them. Don't have to wash them don't have to hang them up. You don't need closet space. I mean, how bad can it be? And then all of a sudden, I mean, they're fine. Until someone came along and began them to think about what life would be like. That Oh, maybe you don't have everything that there is. And suddenly they became dissatisfied. Oh, I'm not as God knowing both good and evil, huh? I can become as God, though. Knowing both good and evil. They've been enlightened. Oh, I didn't know that I could be that way. Oh, this is good. And so they ate. And they found out. the knowledge Having the knowledge of good and evil wasn't so good. That knowing just good was better. That's how it started way back then. Dissatisfaction and then enlightenment. Dissatisfaction and then enlightenment. Now, not all revolt is bad. But most of it is. But not all revolt is bad. We think pretty good about our revolt against England. Like that was alright. Some other revolts that we thought pretty highly of. But Jeroboam is first off, he's dissatisfied with what he has because he's beginning to entertain the thoughts that this is going to go away. And the people are going to kill me. So he's doubting what God said. God said, I will make of your house an enduring house. And he has decided he can make a better one. Wouldn't you like to be able to make a better house than God? And most of us will say, oh, I know I can't make a better house than God. Yeah, but you're going to try. You're going to find that opportunity and and give it a shot. Dissatisfaction. And enlightenment. Jeroboam said in his heart, Now the kingdom may return to the house of David. If these people go up and they offer sacrifices in Jerusalem, go out to the temple, if they always have to leave my country and go to the other country and offer sacrifices in Jerusalem and then come back, if they have to keep doing that, that's not good. The hardest people, they're going to turn back. Eventually, they're going to get tired of why they rebelled. And they're going to go back. And when they do that, they will kill me. Because I'll stand in their way. Now, what should he have done instead? He should have meditated on some other stuff. He would have demonstrated faithfulness if he had gone over what the Lord said. What did the Lord say? That thought comes in. What did the Lord say? What did the Lord say? I'll tell you what, people. How many times we think on what we hear instead of what the Lord said? I hope none of you have lost any sleep over swine flu. What does the Lord say? He has delivered you from all diseases except the swine flu. That one's just too hard. You'll die with that one. I'm sorry. Is that what the word said? No, but what do we do? We meditate on. Oh, the swine flu. Oh. People are dying. What are we going to do? Well, nowhere in the Bible did they ever encounter a disease that killed people until now. I don't know what you're going to do. What do you do? You go over what the Lord said. I will take sickness from the midst of thee. So why are you walking in fear about it? Why? Because you keep going over what other people are saying. Swine flu is spreading. I mean, they, finally, they got giddy. You all know what I feel about the news media around here. But, uh, despise them with everything in me. And it just gets stronger and stronger and I don't even hear them anymore. <laughs> oh, I think it... Turn them... Please turn them off. It took me a week till I even found out the swine flu was out there. I had no idea it was even out there. Found out about it and I heard all of the those things they're trying to say about it. Don't listen to them. They just want to instill fear in you. They finally found a case of someone who died. They got giddy. Yes! Someone died! We got news! They're so glad that someone died because they have news. Despicable. Despicable. They are so anti God. Don't listen to them. Listen to what the Word of God says. What's the Word of God say? I will take sickness from the midst of thee. So what do you think about swine flu? Nothing. Won't get me. No. No. Well, that's kind of uh, pompous. How do you know it's not the will of God for you to get sick? Well, I don't know. Just go over what the Word of God says. I will take sickness from the midst of you. That doesn't sound like it's a good thing. Jesus went about to do the will of who? The will of the Father. Did He make anyone sick? Ever. Did He make people well? Isn't that often said of Jesus that He healed all? Then I would say, if He came out to do the will of the Father and He healed most times all and the ones that He didn't, it was because of their unbelief or some problem on their part and He didn't make anyone sick, then it's not His will to make people sick. And I can just believe God. Boy, just just get in. The, go over what God says about it. Stop going over what everybody else says about it. Getting in fear over all that. Now, I'm not saying, you know, the, you, you never get sick. But once you get saved, you never get sick. Well, we've all battled stuff like that. Because storms come. And sometimes you're up to stand up to the thing and sometimes it got you. You know, there were times I got bit too. I told you years ago, I got pneumonia one time. Started getting better. Came out here to the church. Preached. Got, didn't miss a Sunday. Kept on going. I was feeling better. And, and uh, went on home. And just got, got some rest. And that was the last I was able to get up. <laughs> sat there and watched the Eagles game. They beat up on some opponent. I don't even know who it was. Probably something like the Giants or something like that. <laughs> they beat up on somebody. It was an enjoyable game. I sat there. My wife came on down. She fell, fell asleep on the... On the floor, my daughter came on down. She fell asleep. And my son, he was real young. that real young. He's 18 now. He was so small, he's, he fell asleep on my on my chest. Just really, he's real tiny. So the game was over. I figured, all right, it's time to get up. Try to get him up. I couldn't get up. I couldn't lift him up. Could not get up. Had to call for an ambulance. First time, only time I've ever been put into an ambulance and hauled off to the hospital. Well, I only tell you all that just to tell you that you know, I got out of the hospital eventually and recovered just fine. Every year after that, if I was taking our kids over to the doctor to get whatever things they needed for school, you know, they have reports you got to fill out or different stuff you got to do. and you got to get over there and do all that. And he'd see me and say, you know, you ought to get a flu shot. Once you've had that pneumonia, it'll come in there and get you again. I said, it won't get me. No, sir. Well, you really ought to get a flu shot. He did that every year. I mean, he did it for so many years, and then there was a couple, number of years in there. My wife would always take him, and I didn't see him for for four or five years, didn't see him. And I'd see him, and he had a good enough memory to say, You know, you ought to get a flu shot. You had pneumonia before. And you ought to get it. I said, Doc, when was the last time I had the flu or pneumonia? I don't need one. Haven't got one yet. Don't plan on getting one either. You want to get one? That's fine. You go out there and get one. I'm not telling you you shouldn't, shouldn't. Whatever. But the word of God said, I will take sickness from the midst of thee. I just choose to believe that. Believe faith in that. And go over that sort of stuff. Jeroboam's going over the wrong things. He's meditating on, oh, they're gonna leave me. They're gonna go down to Jerusalem and their hearts are gonna turn. He's not meditating on what God said. God said, I will make of your house an enduring house. That's what God said he would do. If you will do this. And he had a list. He had a list. And he's a guy. I mean folks guys love lists. Don't we? We love we love lists. Anything I can make into a list. Oh. And especially ones with check boxes. You can check them. Oh, that just brings such satisfaction to check that thing off the list. Women women I think women like to cross the things off the list, right? Guys we like to check them. Off the list. I think it's because we still want to read. This is what I did. See that? I did that right. Yeah, there. Women, you don't care. You just cross the thing right on out. But no, we like to stand back there and say, look at that. All those things I got done. All them checked off things there, right? We like checklists. He had a list. He could check it off every day if he wanted to. He'd all got commands. Walk in his ways. Do what is right in his sight. Keep his statutes and commandments as David has done. Did I do that today? Well, I'm not doing that when I think on these things. That's all he's got to do. That's it. And God said, I will make of your house an enduring house. But what's this question? First thing he comes up with, my house may not endure past next week. He begins to doubt this. But the Lord said, this is what he should be focusing on. The Lord said, the Lord promised. How did David handle this? These are the things he ought to be thinking on. The Lord said, the Lord promised. How did David do this? Now we put this, we put that gold star. What's the gold star mean? Life principle. (laughs) What we say or think on inwardly has an outward effect. Please understand that. That is a life principle for you. Put that in your principle book. Put that someplace where you see it often enough. What we say or think on inwardly has an outward effect. If you think on things inwardly that are negative, that are evil, it's going to have a negative, evil, outward effect. If you think on things that are positive, that are godly, that are what the Word of God says, it will have that kind of effect because the Word of God says, what you sow, you will reap. You'll do that. So go over it. You hear those news media people? I just know there's a special spot in hell. (laughs) And I have scripture on that too, just so you know. I have scripture on that because people who lead others astray face a stricter judgment. And the news media has been responsible for leading many people astray. I'm going to be up there. I know it. I just know it. You just watch. When I get up to heaven, make it hotter. Come on, God. (laughs) Make it hotter. Burn, Katie! (laughs) Now, if she gets saved, fine. She's welcome. Glory to God. I'll be on her team. Until that day, she is leading people astray. Along with a whole lot of other folks in there. Who's that? Who's, I don't even know the news people anymore. Dan? Is he, Dan's out of there now, right? Dan's gone. Peter? No longer in there. So, how do you know who the new people are? Glory to God. I'm glad I don't know who they are. Who's that one? He's a news... Oh, let him go. All right, yeah. <laughs> I don't like seeing people led astray. It irks me to see people being led astray. And the news media is doing it on a regular basis. Do not let them lead you astray. Do not let them do it. I look forward to the day that our school tries to assign our son news programs to watch. I look forward to the day when they try and do that. Mm. I will have fun with our school. (laughs) So Jeroboam sets up on his own golden calves and altars and his own priests and feasts. He makes priests of whatever class of people he wants to You want to be a priest? Come on, be a priest. I don't care if you're not born of Levi. Come on. And instead of using the feast days that God set up, He picked His own feast days. And He picked His own purpose. Every feast day that God set up had a prophetic purpose. Every one. They're in there for a reason. There is no feast day that does not predict something. Every single one. And they've all been fulfilled except the final one. The final feast is the only one we're waiting for to be fulfilled. But they've all been fulfilled. Except for that. So it's coming. So he took all these things that were to show them prophetically what is to come and changed them all. Got rid of them all. Set up the gold calves. We know the gold calves history. Set up altars for them. It says even as far as Dan. Even as far as Dan. Why it says that is that Dan is way up in the North Territory. They'd have to go a long way to get there. Jerusalem was a whole lot easier for most people to get to. And Bethel was down in the south south area. And we find out in the next chapter, chapter 13, that a prophet is sent to condemn Jeroboam and let him know, you messed up. You didn't do it. You had a list. You had a list. You had a prophet who came And met you and said, all you got to do is this, 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 and this. That's it. Just do that. And you'd be fine. He didn't do it. Well, seeds of dissatisfaction nurtured result in rebellion. Seeds of dissatisfaction nurtured result in rebellion. How many of you rebelled against Satan? Yeah, we did. Didn't we do that? When we got when we got born again, we rebelled against Satan. We became dissatisfied with his lifestyle. Dissatisfied with what he could do in our lives. And we said, I'm going over here. Jesus is a lot better way. His way is peace. There's joy. There's gladness. There's certainty. In the house that Jesus built, I know for sure I'm going to heaven. I don't wonder about it. I know it. The Word of God is about ins- assurance. You can know for sure that you are going to heaven. You never have to wonder. There are some places that teach works righteousness and you're always wondering, did I do enough? A- am I good enough? I don't know. I don't know if I measure up. Am I good enough to get into heaven? You never have to wonder with God. God tells you exactly what you got to do. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. It's real easy to know. And I can know. But yeah, but you're not good enough yet. It's alright. <laughs> you can still get in. Thank God sinners can get into heaven. He made the way. You wear His righteousness, not yours. Seeds of dissatisfaction nurtured result in rebellion. That's why you've got to be careful about those seeds that you let nurture about your parents. Seeds that you let nurture about your spouse. Seeds you let nurture about your boss, about your kids, Be careful of those seeds that you let nurture on the inside of you, because they will breed rebellion. We become enlightened to principles. Understand this. This this is important. We become enlightened to principles we don't perceive as false. What do we mean by that? I can become enlightened to a principle when I don't perceive that it's false. If I come on out and say 4 plus 4 equals 12, how many of you have just become enlightened? No, because you say, that's wrong! That is not right, and immediately you've shut down. And you say, I I will not be enlightened by that, that is wrong. But if you do not perceive that 4 plus 4 is 8, and I tell you that 4 plus 4 is 12, and you become enlightened on it, then you receive it as as enlightenment. Even though it's wrong. But it's enlightened you. And from that point on, you go on with the basis of 4 plus 4 equals 12. Your math is off from this point on. Somebody tells you half a foot, you go 4 inches. 2 inches off. Everything from that point on is off. You got to be careful what you become enlightened to. People in school... I mean, school's terrible now. Parents, make sure you stay on top of what your kids are learning. Because they're teaching them, they're trying to get all kinds of stuff in there, liberalism and, you know, to get this part in there that that anti-God stuff. There's a lot of stuff that used to be liberalism that was actually pretty good and that all got changed a whole lot. And now what they, what they pass for it is not what people once thought it was. So you be real careful. There's a whole lot of anti-God stuff Secular humanism, that man is good enough by himself. And these folks are governing that way. We don't need God. Let's get God out. So you be real careful about that. Watch what they're getting in their schools. We become enlightened to principles we don't perceive as false. So I must understand what is true and what is false. It is important because if I can pick up that this is false, I will not become enlightened Jeroboam heard this come up on the inside of him and he decided to be enlightened. He decided to be enlightened by it. He should have perceived it as false and shut it down. But he didn't do it. He became enlightened by it. And then once you get enlightened by that, then you can be enlightened by other false things. Enlightened by other false things. and Enlightened by other false things. And pretty soon you're talking nonsense and thinking it makes sense. See, to dissatisfaction, nurture, result in rebellion. Well, we become enlightened to principles we don't perceive as false. Jeroboam became enlightened to false principles, and it killed him. Ahab became enlightened. He thought this could be, he, he thought of different ways of doing things, and it killed him. Be careful of the false things that can come in. Because if you pick it up as being right, you pick it up as being, oh, this could be true. This could be right. So this is okay. We were talking about it on Wednesday night. The things that they try and teach in the schools that goes against our constitution is they are teaching in our school to our students right now, they are teaching them that a strong federal government is needed. Especially to solve the great problems we have. They're not teaching the Constitution was against a strong federal government and for a strong state government. And the reason for it was simple. In case you're not enlightened to the reasons for it. If Pennsylvania became oppressive and you didn't like what Pennsylvania was doing. Imagine if Pennsylvania's California. And you didn't like what it was doing. All you do is pack up your car and move over to New Jersey. Move over to Maryland. I like this one better. And so as people voted with their feet... They could go to wherever state they wanted to that didn't operate oppressively. This would force states to keep laws that would not be oppressive. But if the federal government is allowed to come in and make these laws, then you have no place to go. And that's what the Constitution was guarding against. And we have completely lost that in our education system. They do not know the power of state government or the reasons for it. Roe versus Wade is unconstitutional not because of its anti-life principles. It is unconstitutional because it takes away a state right and puts it into a federal government. That is why it's unconstitutional. We can, we can debate the life issue all we want and I'm all for pro-life things and such things like that but that opened the door a whole, whole lot to the federal government taking more power. And that's why it's, it's wrong. That's why the Constitution was written this way. But if you don't know that and you become enlightened and you think that we need a strong federal government to accomplish these problems and now they created global problems and we need a strong global government to take care of these global problems and we become open to it and we see it as enlightenment and we are, we receive all those things. Don't let it come in, but not just with the worldly stuff, with God's stuff. The devil wants to come on in and he wants to sell you on a package of goods that's against what God says. He wants you to fret. He wants you to worry. He wants you to to become concerned about the economy. He wants you to become concerned about health issues, food issues, work issues. And the word of God says, I'm there to take care of you until the economy gets really bad. Then you're on your own. But God doesn't do that. Meditate on the things that God says. Go over them. Jeroboam should have. He should have had his list right there in front of him and just gone over it. Don't do that. Stay over here. Stay over here. And he would have been faithful to the things of God. If he had been faithful to the things of God, what would have happened to his house? It still would be around. It still would be around. Now think of David's house. How many unfaithful kings did David have under him? Oh, A lot. A whole lot. And yet God made the promise to David of an enduring house forever. And he kept it. That's how strong our God values keeping his word and keeping his promises. You keep going over the word of God. It should be something you do every single day. Constantly. If you're going to be faithful to it, you've got to know it. And there's a whole lot of forces that want to come against you and get you to be built upon sand and not upon rock to get you you built upon what people feel, what people think, instead of what the Word of God said. I personally do not care what you feel about any passage of Scripture in the Word of God. And you shouldn't care what I feel about it. What you should care about is what it says. That's all you should care about. Well, I don't feel like that really speaks to me. So what? I don't really feel like that's true for me. I don't really feel saved. I don't really feel like God forgives me. I don't really feel like God's going to do that for me. I don't care what you feel like. Did the Word of God say it? If you don't know that the Word of God said it, that's where your problem is. Find out what the Word of God said on the issue. And then once you know what God said on it, believe it. And I don't care if you feel like it or not. How many of you ever gone out, got in your car this morning and said, I don't know. Not a good feeling for my car today. I just don't feel like the car's going to work. You ever done that? No, you take the key, you stick it in, you turn it on. That's all you do. Stop trying to analyze everything about God. I don't know if I feel like that's a, that's the way it is today. That's not important. What is important is what God said and that you meditate on it and that you do it. Would you all stand up with me? We're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper and remember the things that God has done. Because what God has said in His Word is true for us. Would you all bow your heads with me? If any of you here today are not sure that Jesus Christ is your Savior. You're not sure. We talked about being assured of salvation. If you say, I'm not positive, I'm saved. I'd like to be, but I'm not positive, I'm saved. Raise your hand up, because we're going to have communion. I don't want anyone taking part of communion who doesn't know that they're saved. You're not sure you're saved? Raise your hand. We're going to take care of that for you.